are glad that you're here. Uh, again, do not forget about Easter that is coming up next week. We'd love to see all of you back. And plus, invite your family and friends to come join us too. Uh, one of the cool things that we do on Easter Sunday is we actually give away our offering. It goes back into the community. Uh, I've talked about this the last few weeks. Next Sunday, our goal is $35,000. Uh, that money will go back to our Summer Lunch Bunch program where we feed kids during the summertime when they're out of school. These are under-resourced families here in Springfield. Uh, it goes to our Windshape Camp, which is coming up this summer in July. Uh, it helps us to fund that event and the activities and some of the scholarships there. And then lastly, it goes to our Generosity Feeds event. I'll talk about that in the message here in a little bit. Uh, but these are ways that we support and make a difference within our community. Uh, and we're doing that through what we give next week. So again, our goal is $35,000. Be here, uh, be a part of what's happening, and at the same time, think about what you may give uh, to this as we continue to impact the community that we live in. Uh, one other thing I want to bring to your attention real quick. When you came in, you saw some signs, right? Some parking signs and exit signs. And so we've kind of changed things a little bit. Some of you know if you leave, it can be kind of tight, especially between services, trying to go out this way. Uh, so for what we're doing right now, you're going to be coming in this main entrance, and your exit's actually going to be out towards the fence on the far left. Whether you know this or not, that house over there, the White House, is actually our office space. The garage has all of our equipment in it that we work around the, the building and the, the land here. Um, but as you leave, you'll actually exit out past that area. Just, just follow the guys and the ladies that are out there directing traffic. Don't get mad. Be patient. I know it's D.C., but it's Sunday, so be nice. Once you get off the property, you can say bad things, okay? We got a deal? All right, just try to do that. We're trying to do that over the next few weeks and make this a part of who we are uh, just so we can help people get out here of the, the flow, which is kind of tough, as you know, with the light right here at this, this entrance and exit. But uh, if you got questions, ask somebody. It looks like they know what they're doing, okay? That's important. <laughs> All right, let me pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these moments that we get to share together. And I pray that as we chat and talk over the next few moments, that uh, our lives will, will be changed in some way. Not, not because of me, but because of you and your spirit at work. And so we just invite your spirit into this place, and um, we ask for your presence here in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we hear a lot of bad things about the world, and how terrible it is, and how horrible it is, and, and so it's always good to get some good news, right? Volunteerism is actually on the rise. In 2017, what we found out is that in the United States specifically, 77 plus million people volunteered in some way, shape, or form. 77 million people. That, that's a lot of people if you really think about it. Not only did these 77 million people actually do some volunteer work, they did a lot of volunteer work. There were almost 7 billion hours of service that were given to volunteer organizations throughout the United States. And so if you kind of do your math there, it's about 89 hours per year per person who volunteered in some capacity. That's great to know. If you look at generations, Generation X volunteered more than anybody else. Go team. Yeah, there we go. Baby boomers gave more hours than anybody else. And millennials are, are actually rapidly growing in their volunteer base. <laughs> Do you guys know what generation you're born into? Okay, let's maybe have that discussion. Anyway, it's great to see that so many people are taking volunteerism and making it an important part of who they are. Why do we volunteer, though? Think about that for a moment. I mean, why do we take the time to volunteer? Sometimes we volunteer out of guilt. You know, our company's doing this. They call it team building. I call it torture. I mean, that's, <laughs> some of us do it out of guilt. Some of us do it out of desires. 
hey, you know what, that really cute girl, that good-looking guy, they volunteer at that organization. I'd really like a chance to maybe ask him out, so I'm going to go volunteer. So we kind of do it out of selfish desires. And then sometimes we just do it out of pressure. We feel pressured to volunteer. Um, you know, I, I've got this community service that i got to put in because of that court appearance, so... That one's actually legit, okay? That's actually, you do have to do that. There's, there's no pressure there. Um, but, we, but we volunteer out of, out of different purposes and reasons. In Boston, a few years back, they had an issue with volunteerism. Uh, there were two prestigious, very well-known homeless shelters there in, in Boston. And um, it was the Christmas and Thanksgiving seasons, and people were trying to get in to volunteer. Now, here's the problem. People want to volunteer on Thanksgiving and Christmas, the other 363 days a year, nobody wants to volunteer at all. And there's always a struggle to do that. Well, in Boston, they had this waiting list for these particular organizations for people to jump in and volunteer. And the people, the officials there were like, we can't take any more people. You're like 167th on this list. There's no way you're going to do this. A Boston Globe reporter got wind of this and began to look around. And they found that some of the people that were on this waiting list, they were pressuring officials to ask, let them be on this list so they could serve. The crazy part was the homeless shelter said, look, there's so many other places who need the same sort of help right now during the holidays. Go and help them. What the Boston Globe reporter found was that these people were pretty incredulous that that was even offered to them as an option. What is it about volunteerism that makes us want to do this, to go and serve and help other people? Is it guilt? Is it pressure? Is it because we feel like we need to be at the right place at the right time so people can see us? I mean, the good part is that we have so many people who want to volunteer. But I wonder if we really look deep down inside, why do we really volunteer? Is this something that comes from the heart or is there another reason that we do what we do? Today we continue this series called H2O. This is a series that if you haven't been here, we are looking at stories, events in the life of Jesus. And, and they're all connected to water in some way, shape, or form. And, and so we've talked about his baptism, turn, turning water into wine, the, the well. We, we've talked about all these different things, walking on water. We've talked about all these different events in his life that are connected to water. And so today we're going to continue that theme as we look at John chapter 13. Now some of you, you like to think ahead and you're thinking, so Chad's going to make us want to volunteer here at The Journey. That's not what I'm talking about today, okay? This goes way beyond that. If you want to volunteer at the journey, I think that would be great. But <laughs> not the purpose of what we're talking about today. We're actually talking about the heart. John chapter 13, if you have your Bible. If you don't, we're going to put the words up on the screen. If you have your Journey Church app, you can open it up, hit the notes button, and follow along there. If you've got your program, you can take notes there today too. John chapter 13, starting with verse 1, here's what it says. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Here we have Jesus, and he's come back into Jerusalem. Now, um, today is Palm Sunday, and if you're familiar with that background, your Palm Sunday is the, the day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and the people are like showering him with praise and all this kind of crazy, wonderful stuff because they, they think he's coming into Jerusalem to become this earthly king, to be the king of Israel, to lead them to this battle, to this fight, to get the Romans out of, of their occupation there. So this is what they think. This is what they believe. Now, we're a week later here. We're on a, uh, later on the, in, in that week, specifically in that week. And here we have Jesus. And he's like, that's not the reason I'm here. 
So Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's there in a very specific time. You, you notice it says it was just before the Passover festival. So the Passover festival is getting ready to happen. And so Jesus is there. Now, if you're not familiar with the Passover festival, let's, let's scoot back into history a little bit. You know the story of where Moses, with God's leading, takes the Israelites and gets them out of Egypt. He takes them from slavery and gets them to this place of, of freedom. There are these ten uh, plagues that happen. And it's the last plague where the Pharaoh finally says, yep, you guys need to leave. The deal with the 10th plague is that God goes to Moses and says, here's what I need you to tell the Israelites to do. They, they need to sacrifice a lamb. And then I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to put it on the doorpost of each home. And in the middle of the night, while you're sleeping, this death angel is going to fly over Egypt. And any firstborn child within that home will die. If you're an Israelite and you hear that, you ain't sleeping that night, are you? <laughs> you're kind of worried about what's going to happen. But that's what they were called to do. They, they said, this is what we've got to do. So God's told us to do this. They put the blood on the, on the doorpost. That evening, that night, the death angel comes over. We see the deaths with the Egyptian families. And the Pharaoh's like, get out of town. The very next day, from what we are looking at here, Jesus is going to be crucified. He's in Jerusalem at that moment because this is when God wants him there. Not to become this earthly king, because that very next day he's going to be crucified. And so we have this, this lamb, or lambs that have been killed for generations. And God's saying, now here's the deal, and you read this in the New Testament. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And so Jesus is actually finally going to take the place of those lambs. Jesus is going to be that lamb. He's going to shed his blood on that wooden cross, very much like those doorposts, to be able to say, hey, you don't need that stuff anymore. You have me. You have, you have Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, is here for you to save you, just like God saved the Israelites hundreds of years earlier. And so Jesus is there for that reason and that purpose, because that is what Passover meant. He's taken on the role of that lamb. So it's important for him to be there at that time. Look at verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to him tomorrow. He, he knows that he is going to be crucified. He, he knows that Judas has already betrayed him. And here's what he does. In, in the midst of this dinner he's having with his disciples, he gets up, he takes off his clothes. He's, he's just in his underwear, not, not his Michael Jane Jordan Haynes, by the way, but he, just a loincloth. He's just wearing that. And he begins to wash the feet of each one of those disciples that are there. Now, you may be thinking, well, that seems kind of weird. Well, in that culture, it kind of was weird, but kind of wasn't weird. Uh, it was normal to wash feet in that culture. Uh, you think about it for a moment. You're walking around in dust all the time. No pavement. There's no concrete there. And so you're walking around, and, and your shoes are, are not boots. They're not closed-toed shoes. They're, they're basically a, a piece of, of leather with some straps on it to hold it in place on your foot. That was it. And you walked everywhere you went. You didn't ride in a car. You didn't get on a bike. You didn't take a lime scooter. You didn't do any of that kind of stuff. You walked everywhere you went. So think about that. In that culture, in that setting, your feet are going to get pretty nasty. And plus, sometimes it's pretty warm there. So you're sweating, and the, feet, or the sweat on your feet and the dirt would all mix up and kind of cake on your feet. It's 
probably animal poo on the, on the ground and maybe in some places human excrement. I mean, feet were pretty nasty. They, they, were, they were gross. And yet what does Jesus do? Jesus washes the feet, washes the feet of his followers. These people did not have soft feet like we do. They were probably very calloused. Like the type of thing where you were asleep at night and if you weren't careful and you moved your foot the wrong way, you might slice an artery on your spouse's leg and they might not be there in the morning. I mean, these are the kind of feet that they had. And yet Jesus gets down and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. This was normal in that culture. This is what would happen in that culture. Here's what makes it so different. The abnormal piece was that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Hebrews, the Israelites, they, they would not touch someone else's feet. They, the feet were unclean. That was the job of a Gentile servant or slave. And so when you would come to a home, you would come to a building, there would be one of these Gentiles would be there, and they, that was their job to wash your feet. Especially in the setting that we have here, Jesus is, is the, the person who's put this whole supper together, right? He's sort of the, um, the, the person of honor within this story. That person would never, ever wash someone's feet. And yeah, that's what Jesus does. But I want you to notice something else here. Who doesn't wash feet? The disciples. Here they have this moment to look around because apparently there is no servant or slave there to wash the feet of everybody. And they're probably looking at each other like, what's going on here? I mean, this is part of what we have to do. For the Israelites, to be clean was, was to be in the presence of God. And so your feet, if they were nasty, you weren't fully clean. And so there was no one there to do that. The disciples never jump up. Like, hey, I'm going to take care of this because no one's here. No, Jesus, the last person that should have done this, gets up and washes their feet. In that culture, what Jesus does for them in that moment would have been one of the most humiliating steps that you could take. One of the most humiliating roles for you to get up and wash the feet of others. But think about this. For Jesus, this actually isn't the most humiliating thing he's going to face. It's going to be tomorrow. Because being crucified on the cross was the most humiliating thing you could experience in, in that time. They would take you and they'd put you on this cross and they would put you up really high because they wanted everybody to see you. And, and of course, you can see everybody else. I mean, you're, you're close to death, but you can see other people. And I know the images that we have, the paintings that we see, there's usually a loincloth there. No, you were naked. You, you were fully disrobed to humiliate you and so whatever you had to do while you were up there on the cross you did and so Jesus he's thinking you guys think this is humiliating you have no clue tomorrow you're going to see what humiliation truly looks like and yet what does Jesus do Jesus washes the feet of all of his disciples in that moment and he's making a point in this scoot down to verse 12 it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. If we go back, back to the book of Luke, we see some of uh, this event taking place there, and Luke's telling the parts of that story, and he tells another piece to this that we don't have here in John. He talks about the disciples, and they're kind of in this fight, and the fight is, who's the greatest one on this team? And so they're going back and forth, kind of fighting each other. Who's the best? Who's the greatest? 
I kind of imagine this is the moment where Jesus steps in and begins to wash their feet. Again, to make this point fully to those disciples. And so he does. He begins to wash their feet. Now, I don't know if, if when he says this mentally, they're starting to think, are, are we supposed to like wash each other's feet literally now? Is that what we're supposed to do? I, I mean, Jesus, have you seen Matthew's feet? He's got six toes. I mean, that's a lot of work for somebody. Have you seen Thomas's toenails? I mean, they're all yellow. And Peter's got some fungus they ain't identified yet. I mean, this is what you want us to do? And I think mentally they're thinking this is exactly what Jesus is talking about, that Jesus literally wants them to wash each other's feet. But look at verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus isn't trying to get them to start some foot-washing ministry. That's not the point he's trying to make here. His purpose here, I want to show you what love really and truly looks like. And so he's saying to them, hey, your first role, your first job is to follow me, to love me. And if you love me, then you will begin to serve others. Because that's what we do. We express love through serving others. And Jesus shows the disciples, and even us to this day, shows us what that looks like to do that. And that doesn't come out of a place of guilt or desire or pressure. It comes from the heart. That it's who we are. It's how we live our life. It's how we lead at work. It's something that we want. It's something that we desire. And so servanthood comes from, from who we are deep down. And it comes because of the love that we have for Jesus. And because of that love, we serve others. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, we read one of the main reasons that Jesus was sent to this earth. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, serve out of love. He says, watch me, do like me, serve because of the love that you have for each other and for others. And if you do that, it's from the heart. It can begin to transform the lives of those around you. As we look at John 13, we see two examples of this kind of love within what Jesus does here for the disciples. The first one is that Jesus served his followers. He served his followers. He, he did that by washing their feet. Now, now think about this for a moment. Here are 12 guys Jesus has just spent over three years with. He's taught them. He's spent time with them. They've eaten together. They've, they've traveled together. They've slept in the same places. They've experienced some of the same experiences together. I mean, this has all happened together as this group, as this team. And so he has this, this connection with them. And what does he do? He washes their feet. He shows them the love that he has for them by being a servant, by washing their feet. Whose feet do you and I need to wash? If you're a parent, you have to wash the feet of your kids. If you're a kid, you've got to wash the feet of your parents. If you're married, you've got to wash the feet of your spouse. If you're in a dating relationship, you have to wash the feet of the person that you're dating. At work, if you're a leader and there's people that follow you, guess what? You need to wash their feet. If, if you lead in the church, you, you've got to wash the feet of the volunteers. See, we are called to wash the feet of others. 
But if we have that love inside of us, this is what it looks like for us to live that out. We wash the feet of others. Whose feet do you and I need to begin to wash? Now, as I say that, some of you are thinking, I can do that. Because that's sort of easy if you think about it. It's easy to wash the feet of people you like. And hopefully you like them. It's easy to wash the feet of your parents if, if you like them. It's easy to wash the feet of your kids, of, of your friends, of, of your neighbors, of the people that you work with, the people that are volunteers in the church. It's really easy to wash the feet of people that you like or people that are like you and people that think the same way that you think, people that act the same way that, that you act, maybe people that look the same way that you do. It's really easy for us to wash those feet. And you know what Jesus says? Wash their feet. Make it a part of who you are. Let it be something from your heart that you, you live this out and you wash their feet. But this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus was revolutionary in his time. And Jesus is still revolutionary in our time today. Because Jesus doesn't say just wash the feet of the followers and the people that you like. Jesus takes it a step further. Jesus says serve the unlovables. Serve the unlovables, because that's what Jesus did. Again, he, he spent these three-plus years with this group of 12 guys. But in the midst, there's this one guy. We read about him just a moment ago, a guy named Judas. What does Judas do? Judas betrays Jesus. In fact, he's already betrayed Jesus before this moment, and he will betray Jesus again, finally, in, in a few moments in a garden. But Jesus has spent three years plus with Judas mentoring Judas, teaching Judas, spending time with Judas, eating beside Judas, sharing meals and experiences. And what does Judas do? Judas betrays Jesus. It blows my mind when we read that because what does Jesus do with Judas on that night? He washes the feet of Judas. I don't know about you, that's probably not the thing I would have done in that moment with Judas. It would have been like, hey, Judas, can you come, come over here for just a moment? There's this water basin, and there's something in the bottom of it. And Judas is like, what is it? It's like, it's money, because Judas kind of loved money a little bit. So, hey, there's some, can you come get this out? I can't reach down there. You know, I hurt my elbow yesterday or something. And, and so Judas starts to reach down. I grab Judas' head and probably hold him under for a little while. <laughs> but I'm not Jesus, and you're not either. Now, our response may have been different than Jesus's, but what does Jesus do? Jesus, Jesus washes the feet of Judas, someone who has betrayed him and will betray him even further in the next few hours. Jesus doesn't choose sides here. He washes the feet of Judas, the person who is going to lead Jesus to his death. It's easy to serve those that we like, that are like us, that act like us, that think like us, it's really hard to wash the feet of someone who we may categorize as unlovable. It may be hard for us to serve those that are different than us, who don't meet our expectations, don't reach our desires, that we feel a tension toward, maybe even a, a hate, or the way they act or what they say, or, or, or the lifestyles that they choose to live, or their morals are different. Look, when someone is just like us, it's so easy to wash their feet. When they're very different, it's very hard to wash their feet. But Jesus says, you are here 
to wash each other's feet. And you're here to wash those that you like, and you're here to wash those that maybe are so different to you that you have nothing in common. But you know what? You're here to wash their feet. And Jesus washed Judas's feet. Think about that. He humiliated himself in that moment because he knows what Judas is doing. He humiliates himself in that moment, and he still washes the feet of Judas. But this is who Jesus is. I mean, if we look at the stories of Jesus, who does he hang out with? Who does he spend time with? Whose feet does he wash? He washes the feet of those that are undeserving of it. He washes the feet of those that are sick and those that are unhealthy, those that other people would call as outcasts. Jesus washes their feet. He washes the feet of those that are stuck in their religiosity. He washes the feet of those that were undeserving. He washes Judas's feet. This is who Jesus is. And why did Jesus do that? Not because of guilt, not because of pressure, not because of desires. It was because of love. It was the love that Jesus had for each person that Jesus would be willing to humiliate himself to wash the feet of someone like Judas. Whose feet do you and I need to wash? In 2011, a lady named Joy Hoover, she... Um, lives in Las Vegas, and um, she and a couple other ladies got together, and they said, hey, there's a group of people here that the world considers unlovable, and, and we want to love them. And so they began to take cupcakes to strip clubs and to brothels, and they took them to the ladies there, and they're like, hey, we're just here to support you. Whatever we can do, let, let us help you. And so they became known as the Cupcake Girls and actually became a nonprofit, and it still is to this day, very prominent in Las Vegas. I think it's spread into a couple of other cities now. And, and that's what they began to do. They just began to take cupcakes to these ladies. But it moved beyond that. They started taking cupcakes, and they started saying, hey, what can we do for you? How can we help you? And so some of them said, hey, you know, I'm struggling in this area. And they said, let's get you counseling. And then they said, hey, financially, we need some help. And so they got, got them financial advice. And here's what I, I love about this. They actually said, hey, we want to come and start doing your hair and makeup before you go out on the, on, to do your shows. And so they would go there, and they would support these women. But let's just be honest. Most of us would look at them and say, do you know what they're doing? Do you know what they're doing with their bodies? Do you know what they're doing in their lives? And we'd say, that's so different than, than where we are, what we think, or our morals. And you know what? They're washing the feet of ladies that so many of us would walk right on by. They're being in the hands and feet of Jesus. So we would look at them and say, they're different than we are. We're not going to wash their feet. Joy and these other ladies said, no, we're going to wash their feet. We're really going to wash their feet. We're going to take care of them. It's amazing to read some of the stories. They even throw baby showers for these ladies. And to me, that's just an incredible power that Christ has had in Joy's life and the people that help her in their life and what they're doing. They're washing the feet of some people that some of us would call unlovables. I love that ability to do that because Jesus would wash those ladies' feet. And so whose feet do you and I need to wash? It's easy to wash those we love. It's hard to wash those people who are different than us or think differently than us or do something that's, that's so different from maybe what our morals are. Jesus like, you don't have to let go of your morals. What you got to do is let go of yourself and begin to wash the feet of others. Because when we have that love inside of us, then we begin to serve and we wash feet. And God uses that to impact lives. But we have to be willing 
to wash feet. Here at The Journey, we want to be a church that's all about washing feet. We, we don't want to be known as the church that has good music or sometimes a good message up front or great kids programs or, man, their parking lot is wonderful now because you don't have to wait in line. We don't want to be known as that church. Those are all the wrong motives. We want to be known as a church that washes the feet of people in the community and the world. That's why we do a lot of the outreach stuff that we do here. Our Summer Lunch Bunch program, we, last summer I think we handed out 5,400 lunches to kids in our community that, that come from families that are under-resourced. You know what? We're washing the feet of kids that, that probably will never walk into this church building. And that's the way the church should be. We're washing feet. Two weeks from now, on the 28th of April, we have our Generosity Feeds event. Um, we hope that you will be a part of that. It's an amazing opportunity to serve by by creating 15,000 meals for, again, a lot of local under-resourced families. We won't be here that Sunday morning. Do not show up here. We're going to be at Hayfield Secondary School. We do need you to sign up for that, to be a part of that. You can do that through your Journey Church app. Um, you can stop by our table out in the lobby area. If you get our weekly email, that link is there. Sign up. Be a part of that. Here's the deal. That's how we wash feet. We want to be a church that's all about washing feet. Our wind shape camp coming up this summer, it's about washing the feet of kids and hopefully for the first time introducing some of them to Jesus Christ. We want to wash feet. We want to plant more churches in northern Virginia. 60% of the people who live here are part of the nuns. They're non-religious. That's a lot of feet that we need to wash. We want to wash more feet. Our global partners, the missionaries that we work with, and we support them so that they can go out and wash more feet. We want to be a church that's known for washing the feet of people in the community and the world. But it also happens here. I don't know if you realize this or not, but people who are struggling, something's going on in their life that is hard. They don't know what to do. They don't know their next steps. They may have remembered that the church should be a place that you can go to and find what you're missing. And so for a lot of people, their first steps towards Jesus happened here. Maybe some of you here, you showed up here for the first time because something was wrong in your life. You didn't feel whole yet. And so you showed up here. You showed up at some church. It's the first place many people go looking for that support and help. You know what our role is if we're a part of the journey? It's to wash their feet. It's to wash their feet every single time that we see them. Because when we love deep down, hey, I don't care what your story is. I mean, I want to know it, but I'm not gonna, that's not going to keep me from washing your feet. We want to be a church that's full of people that are washing the feet of others. When, when we learn to wash feet, and it comes from love, not because of guilt and desires and pressure, God uses that in incredible ways. It changes you and me, and it changes other people. Not just for that moment that we wash their feet, whatever that may look like, but for eternity. It's the power of you and I washing the feet of others. And as a church, we always want to be a church that is washing the feet of other people, whether they're just like us or very, very different. Whose feet do you and I need to wash? In the middle of what we just read, there's one more piece 
to this because washing feet means we have to humble ourselves. Peter is beginning to have his feet washed by Jesus and Peter pushes back. Peter's like, you're not going to do that, Jesus. Jesus is like, yeah, I am. Peter's like, no, you're not. Jesus is like, no, I am. Peter's like, you're not going to do that. Jesus is like, no, I really am going to wash your feet, Peter. Even that fungus that's there. We don't know what it is, but maybe I can heal it while I'm doing this. But, but what does he do? He washes his feet. He's basically telling Peter, Peter, you got to humble yourself, dude. you got to let go of your pride. you got to let that go so I can do this because I promise you, you want me to wash your feet because tomorrow I'm going to fully wash your feet and I'm going to wash your body about what I'm getting ready to do. For some of us, the reason that we don't serve others, that we don't volunteer in specific ways, uh, that we don't care about people who are different than us, that we kind of walk away, it's pride. We hold on to this pride. And Jesus is like, no, let go of the pride. Let it go. Humble yourself to me. Because by the way, I humbled myself for you a couple thousand years ago on that cross. I I did the humiliating part. Your role now is to follow me and to love me and to take these next steps in your life to follow me by serving others, by washing the feet of those around you. If we read what happens in that interaction with Peter, it really connects to baptism. It's one of the things we've been talking about in this series. It's people taking that next step of baptism. And I know some people won't take that step for one reason, pride. Pride. I've got this taken care of. I've taken care of myself my whole life. You know, I've struggled, I've had hurt, I've had pain, bad relationships, but I'm all right where I am now. I can do this on my own. Jesus is like, no, you can't. Let go of the pride. Let go of the ego and follow me. Take this step. Humble yourself through baptism. Next Sunday, we have a group of people that are going to be baptized here at The Journey. It's Easter Sunday. What better day to be baptized than Easter Sunday? We're inviting you to be a part of that. And maybe you're at that point where you're like, I've got to let go of my pride. I need to humble myself so I can take that step of baptism so that I can begin to wash the feet of more and more people so God can use me to transform the lives of others. We'd love for you to do that. Maybe you've got questions about it. You can take that connection card and you can fill that out. You can mark, I want to be baptized on it. We'll talk about that this week. We'll contact you. Your Journey Church app, you can hit the sign-up button. It says Baptist interest, or Baptistry, Baptism Interest. Sorry. Sorry to all my old-school Baptist people here. But... Um, So you can just mark that and we can contact you this week. We'd love to talk to you about baptism because it's all about letting go of our pride and taking that next step towards Jesus. My question is, for every single one of us in this room, whose feet do we need to wash? It's going to be easy to go home and wash the feet of the people that are close to you, that you love. But what about this other group? You think differently, they act differently, they look differently, their lifestyle's different. You know what Jesus says? Hey, wash their feet. And so as we finish up this morning, my hope and my prayer is that you and I will begin to wash the feet of more and more people around us because God will use that to change us and to change them. As we head into our communion time, I want to read to you out of Luke It's this interaction or this part that Jesus has with his disciples on that night as they've been fighting each other about who's the greatest. And then he talks to them about what it looks like for for them to be like him and to 
and to wash the feet of others. And in Luke chapter 22, it says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The very next day, Jesus will become the Lamb of God. He will humiliate himself on that cross for those disciples that are following him to say this is what it looks like to wash feet and you know what i think jesus tells you and i this is what it looks like for you to wash the feet of others and every sunday when we come here to this time within our service at the journey we take this communion and as we do that today as we take the bread and as we take the juice may those words kind of reflect in our minds but i hope even more than that we begin to ask ourselves this question, whose feet do I need to wash this week and beyond? Because again, there's people you like, it'd be easy to do. But there are those that are unlovable for you and for me. Jesus says, wash their feet. I've done this so that now you can understand from the heart what it means to love and to serve and to wash the feet of others. Let's leave this place today and wash more feet and right now I'm going to invite you to stand we're going to sing a song together this morning and as we do that I pray that you will you will think about what this looks like for you in your life and just listen to these words that this song has for us today if you know it sing out loud as you feel led come to the front and to the back grab the bread and the juice take it back to